Welcome into a weekend edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. He's Alex Wolf. And today, Alex, we explore the wide world of wings on the New York Knicks. Yeah, and, and not we're, we're in like the small world section right now. We're just talking about the guys that played for the team previously. As we get into our offseason preview on wings, we will eventually be talking about free agents, trade targets, draft targets. But we want to talk about the incumbents, R.J. Barrett. Quentin Grimes, Cam Reddish, Evan Fournier, and yes, Alec Burks, who is a wing and not a point guard. So we'll be talking about them all next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We are now available on all platforms, including on YouTube. So you can see our smiling on a Saturday morning, maybe maybe a little, little more dour, a little, little less enthusiastic, but still excited to see all of you uh, faces on YouTube. Uh, but who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website on the internet. You can check them out uh, wherever uh, they can be found, including on Twitter at the strick.land. And yeah, this is Locked on Knicks. And we finished up our point guard series going over some draft options. We, we dove deep on free agency and trades. So if you missed that, certainly go check it out. But for now, Alex, we move on to the perimeter guys. And where would we start? But RJ Barrett, the Knicks rising star, arguably the number one young player on the team. That was a debate. We did an episode on that. But uh, I would say the consensus for most people, number one young guy on the team. What, what, what is the big question for you? I think maybe it's the same one for all of us about him going into this offseason. Well, so uh, just to give a, a quick recap of his season, had a career high 20 points per game, just snuck in to that 20 point per game threshold. But to get there, he did shoot uh, 40.8% from the field, 34.2% from three and 71.4% from the line. That's pretty rough. Uh, and honestly, for as much as you and I and everyone else, you know, lost our minds over how good he was after the calendar turned over to 2022 when he averaged 23.6 points per game after January 1st, he more or less shot the same percentages. He shot 41.2%, 35.2% from three, and 71.9% from the free throw line in the new year. So, like, marginally marginally better like really not that that much better from any of those distances um so the main thing is he's got to get more efficient that's that's got to happen and i mean people can say all they want like well he's young he's growing yeah it's true you know but like that doesn't mean that we're you know immune from or that he's immune from from having these sort of criticisms like 
it's I'm extremely encouraged by him. I, I was the lone brave soul apparently to rank him as my top young player on the Knicks when we talked uh, with Dallas. Pretty ballsy. Pretty ballsy. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy stuff there. Big big uh big crazy take by Alex. Um, but like he, you know, RJ really has to, you know, prove some stuff. Uh, you know, to to prove that he's he can be an actual number one option. You know, and, and that's the big thing. Like that's what the Knicks need to figure out before they make a decision on like, do we want to give this guy a rookie max contract? Or is he worth something less than that? You know, do you offer him something like what, like Jalen Brown got, for example, you know, which is around like, around like 20 to 25 million a season. I think his, his deal tops out at um, over the course of, of like four or five seasons. So, you know, or do you want to just straight up give him the rookie max, which comes out to like five years, $185 million. It's not, a small commitment by any stretch of the imagination and we'll pay him, you know, like a star by the end, like over $30 million. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think that's where I'm at. Like his contract situation is it, the Knicks can work out that rookie extension by sometime right before the start of the regular season. Um, or if they don't work that out, then he's not extension eligible during the season. Uh, and when it hits next off season, he would enter it as a restricted free agent and get to sort of set his price at which the Knicks could match because he will be a restricted free agent. So it's, it's a tricky situation. You, I, I think the Knicks as a front office are going to have to really sort of walk the tightrope this off season. As far as what offer do we want to make that is that both, appreciates how far RJ has come and all the hard work he's put in while also protecting us against the fact that he hasn't really proven everything yet. I, I guess if that makes sense, I don't know where you, where do you sit on the whole thing right now, Gavin? No, I'm, I'm at the same place as you. I think there's a happy middle ground there where he's making 25 to $26 million per year. And um, I think that's, I think that's where both sides ultimately come out on this. It's not a commentary on RJ's representation. I think it's more of a commentary on RJ and his desire to be here long-term. And, and the fact that to your point, the Knicks, like they do have to show some respect, like just because RJ wants to be here, he's not going to take $18 million a year. Like he knows his worth. He knows that the Knicks are desperate for a centerpiece and whether he's ultimately that number one guy, um, which I have my doubts about or not, um, he can command that kind of money because the Knicks, as he as he noted that he was aware of um, on JJ Reddick's podcast, the Knicks have not signed their own first round pick in the last uh, almost thirty years now. So, given that um, twenty need, almost twenty five, yeah, it's been yeah. a long time. <laughs> they need they need this to work, right? They need mm-hmm. they they need to get this contract done. They they cannot blow this. And and, and the thing is, in these situations, these situations are very rarely screwed up. I mean, the Knicks with Chris Stapp's Porzingis, which um, I mean, in, in retrospect, uh, not, not so much of a screw up, but in the moment they were the last team, at least that I remember where that was really an issue with a rookie that was in the rage of commanding a max level contract. So I think it ultimately gets worked out. I think he ultimately takes 25 to $26 million a year. Um, and my, my big question beyond the contract is, just is how much of his growth is internal versus external. And by that, I mean, like what are the next steps skill development wise for him? And we've seen every year he comes back with something new. Second year was the improved uh, three pointer Uh, this season. It was obviously, I mean, that ability to uh, vary his finishing around the rim 
And I think that uh, the fact that his efficiency didn't get dramatically better in the second half of the year is somewhat deceptive because obviously his volume got so much higher. So he had to operate as a more efficient scorer. And, and, and we definitely saw that. Like he, he, he figured out how to use his right hand a, a whole lot more um, beyond that. He became much better as a passer. Uh, I think the biggest thing for him is to continue to get better around the bucket because he gets there so easily. And, and a big step was that he started getting to the free throw line a lot easier. And, and as the year went on, um, he started getting more and more efficient from there. But continuing to varying his finishes, continuing to improve his touch, his mid-range game, a, a, another area where he gets to the shots very well, doesn't hit shots very well, that has to improve dramatically. And then the big thing is if you're paying a guy that kind of money – um, with very few exceptions, uh, like a, like a Trey Young, maybe uh, you need to be a two-way guy, and he has shown flashes of brilliant defense, particularly in that 2021 season. Uh, I, I I thought, especially down the stretch, his defense was pretty bad last year, and I think that's an area that, with a full off season, to just get there from a conditioning perspective, because he he had just never taken on a load in the NBA like he took on the second half of the season. I, I think that could be a big area of focus and one that if he wants to be again, the guy, the centerpiece has to at least be solid on that end of the floor. And I'm, I'm not sure, despite his reputation as a good defender, if he was down the stretch of the season. Yeah, I'm with you there, too. You know, it's it's going to take a lot of adjustment from RJ. And, and it's good that he sort of got his feet wet as the top option. I kind of wonder... If the Knicks do part ways with Julius Randle, which I still go back and forth on whether they're going to or not, I can't I can't wrap my brain around it. You know, it's like at the end of the season, if you would have asked me, I would have said, yeah, absolutely. You know, especially because they committed to Tibbs already. Like someone's got to sort of take the fall for the season. And, and I mean, look, Randle did not have a good season and he did not look motivated to even be on the team for most of the year. So like I would not fault the Knicks at all for trading him, but then you see stuff like maybe it was coincidental, but like him and worldwide West taking in a Mavs game together in the postseason. you know, it's like, who knows, but that Julius Randle is a topic for our bigs episode. But what, why I bring him up is I wonder is it, like, if the Knicks do move Julius Randle, will that help RJ in a number of ways? One you know, undisputedly being the guy on the team and they can try that out for a year and see how it goes. And maybe RJ steps into the role and really becomes that guy. Maybe it gives you the assessment that you need to say, no, you know what? He's not a number one, number one guy. You know, like he can be a number one guy on any given night, but he's not like the guy that you go to night in, night out um, to, you know, provide you with the efficient scoring and, and everything else that you need. The other thing is I think that he might see sort of a boost in reputation if that happens, which shouldn't be important. Everything should be called down the middle in the NBA, but there is a, a very real effect of when you reach that like star plateau and start being viewed as such, you start getting different calls in the NBA. And I don't know if he quite cracked through that, that ceiling this year um, down the second half of the season. But he got close. Like he started getting more foul calls and stuff like that. If he, if the Knicks fully commit to him and if he's the guy sort of running the team next year as their like number one option, we might see him get even more foul calls, which he was already down the stretch of the season for periods like drawing the most fouls of almost anyone. I mean, he was like top six among like all the guys you expect to be drawing a million free throws and beat and Harden and Doncic and. And all those guys, he was he was right up there with all them down the stretch of the season with with drawing contact and drawing free throws. So 
could a Julius Randle departure set that up for him? I don't know. But, it, you know, there, there are certainly things he's going to have to work on. I think we saw works in progress of a lot of it this season with, like, the off-the-dribble game, you know, off-the-dribble in the mid-range, off-the-dribble from three, um, certainly the finishing on the inside and how much better he's gotten at that with manipulating his body and also drawing contact. For him, like, unlike some of the other people on the, on this list or other lists that we have as far as the young guys, there's not necessarily something that I'm like, we need to see something brand new out of RJ. I feel like we just need to see a refinement of all the things that we saw this year. Um, but Gavin, I think if if RJ wants to continue refining his body, for example, this offseason, he might want to look into some built bars. And summer's coming, guys. With summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built bars are the perfect snack to take with you on family vacations or for off-season training sessions. RJ Barrett, check them out. Throw them in your bags and your kids' backpacks. Make sure everyone has a bar so you're fueled for your summer adventures. The best part about Built Bar is they're healthy and delicious. No more sacrificing delicious food for health. With Built Bars, you can have both, and it's easy. All you have to do is go to Built.com and order now. All Built Bars and Puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means that with Built Bar, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. And have you tried those Built Puffs yet? They're amazing. I'm going crazy for Puffs. They come in crazy flavors like banana cream pie and even churro. Who doesn't want a protein bar that tastes like a churro? And they're only 140 calories, so sign me right up for that. If that's not enough for you, you might want to try the Mix Box. The Mix Box comes with 12 flavors of bars and puffs. Built Bar makes sure there is something for everyone. And you know what my flavor is? I, I think it's it's still to this day, it's coconut almond. It's the best flavor. It tastes like an Almond Joy. I love Almond Joys. If, if you like Almond Joys, you will definitely love coconut almond. So you should check that flavor out. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. But you get a whopping 17 grams of protein with that. So just imagine... You can eat something that tastes and looks like a candy bar, but is actually going to give you lots of benefits and not fill you with unwanted stuff like calories and fat and sugar. So go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you can get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, Gavin, we are back to discuss the wings on the Knicks. We got in a lot of talk about RJ Barrett, but... The Knicks are actually, just like we sort of discussed with the guards, they're actually sort of stacked at the wing um, in in the sense that they actually they have a lot of quality NBA players and also a lot of quality young players that showed flashes of being quality NBA players uh, throughout this year. And, it, you know, we'll get to Evan Fournier and Alec Burks in a minute who are sort of like the, the go-to like NBA vets, but... I, I think two of the most intriguing guys from both the perspective of how are their skill sets going to evolve and also how are they going to find playing time if things don't change on this team were Quentin, Quentin Grimes and Cam Reddish. Um, and and I, we could talk about Grimes first. I mean, with him, he came in, we knew about the defense, we knew about the three-point shooting, you know, and he showed both of those in spades, but then we saw other little things like being able to run a break and being able to make nice quick passes and even occasionally being able to, you know, put the ball on the floor and attack a closeout, even if it wasn't a perfect skill. But some of these things that made him a top five recruit in his, in actually 
R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, and Cam Reddish's recruiting class in high school showed through as a rookie for him and really allowed him to shine. I mean, what do you see being the next step for for Grimes? And how do you see his career progressing after this? This Honestly, I would say uh, break. I don't know if breakout is the right word, but like more impressive than I was led to believe rookie year for him. Yeah, I mean, he hit he hit thirty eight percent of his threes and got him nine per thirty six minutes, which which is pretty un, not, if not unprecedented for a rookie. I mean, it's suggestive of someone who is going to be not not a, not a good shooter, not a great shooter, but an elite shooter in the NBA for a long period of time. And that's exactly what the Knicks needed out of that spot. Particularly to your point, when you take into account his defense being fantastic. I mean, arguably being the best perimeter defender on the Knicks as a rookie was extremely impressive. And, and to your point, the flashes of, of off the dribble creativity and, and, and that, that constant feeling whenever you watched him just being like, Oh, there's, there's a little more here than I thought. Um, I think he's also someone not to, again, not to, not to get on the pile on the Julius bandwagon, but I think he's someone else who would really benefit from Randall being dealt to another team because the real shame of his, of his multiple injuries um, late season were that we didn't get to see him get 30 minutes on the court with Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin. And, and we talk about the the cascading effect that those two have with their uh, with, with quickly shooting gravity and Toppin's rolling gravity and their combined passing ability. I, I think Grimes would thrive in a system where the ball really moves around quick because I, I think he plays with that same mentality and he gets off his shot so quickly that um, he, he could sort of slot in as your quote-unquote Danny Green on those uh, early 2010 Spurs teams. Um, obviously less talent around him, but I think he would be a really good fit in that type of mold. And, and then the other thing I'm looking for him over more time is, is just to, to push that self-creation because I think sometimes you'll see flashes from rookies that just, at least offensively, that don't carry over or even improve on in future years. I think Landry Shamit is a really good example of that because I remember his rookie year, maybe even into his second year, but particularly when he was when he was on the Sixers, he had a couple of games where he made eight threes or, or and got going off the dribble. And I think sometimes you almost catch a defender off guard when, when they look at a rookie and they're like, all right, coach, quick scouting from this guy. Like, oh, he's a shooter. Just, just close that hard. Um, but then teams realize there's a little more there and they catch on and all of a sudden you don't really have a counter punch. And that's where you see some guys peak a little bit early in the NBA. Um, so I want to see Grimes continuing to shape up that off the dribble package. Um, what kind of plays can he make when he gets a hard closeout and he gets a pump and a guy flies by? Is he always just going to take a one dribble and a three? Is he going to drive and get all the way to the rim? Does he have more of a pull-up mid-range game? We only saw that occasionally from him. Um, I, I think he's a guy that can just keep the machine moving when, when players like Quickly and RJ get that easy penetration, kick it out. I, I trust Grimes to make the next play. I just want to see him do it over a larger sample size. But Alex, what what, what about for you? What, what are you looking for from him next season? And, and do you think he's earned the right to be an automatic substantial piece in this rotation? Or do you think it's contingent on guys like Evan Fournier, Cam Reddish, or, or, or name a free agent or name a draft pick that could be inserted? Yeah, so I, I liked your I liked your point a second ago too, and I thought of like a good cross sport analogy, which maybe just allows me to bring up football for a moment and brag about how the Jets absolutely destroyed the first three rounds of the draft. Um, but there's like always this thing in in football, right, where a, a quarterback, and this almost harkens back to Tibbs's terrible analogy earlier this year too, but like a quarterback will come in mid season, whether it's a rookie or like a second year player or or just a backup coming in off injury and will look like a superstar for like three, four games because teams don't have tape on the guy. 
And so they don't know what to expect. And then all of a sudden the tape gets out and they figure out what they have to do and what they have to exploit. And then the guy looks like just another dude. Um, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen to Grimes. I, I, I think, I think you made some good points though, as far as teams closing out so hard on him, because I mean, he had probably the, uh, of everybody other than maybe Evan Fournier on the team, he had almost the most guaranteed, like if he gets the ball on the perimeter and he's any sort of open, he's going to shoot it. Um, you know, he, he had the most mentality of that, like on the team other than maybe Fournier. And so that being the case, I, you know, it makes sense that teams would be closing out hard on him like that. And then that he could flash that little bit of, of ball handling and teams might catch on to that uh, as time goes on and, and start defending him a little differently. That said, like, I do think that he has, he has some upside there as far as a guy that can create a little bit out of that situation. I mean, we, we've talked about it before, but he was more of like a facilitating guard, like coming out of high school. Um, and was viewed almost like he was going to be like a, you know, like like a, a guard slash wing initiator type, you know, like that was going to, you know, run an offense coming out of high school. And, and that just didn't go well at Kansas. And then he transfers to Houston, sort of transitions more into this three and D role and like really killed it in that role, which sort of shaped the perception of him. But, you know, in the NBA with better spacing and everything else, like there might still be some possibility that he could find that. I think, though where he'll end up slotting in is sort of like what you said. You know, I think that it'll be a mix, you know, it'll be like, he won't just be your standard three and D guy, like a Reggie Bullock, uh, who we obviously have tons of experience with as far as, okay, he can set, he can shoot, uh, he can not really dribble <laughs> and he can play defense on the other end. And that's it. That's all you're going to get out of him. I don't think that's the Quentin Grimes playbook. That said, I don't think he's going to turn into like RJ Barrett, for example, overnight and be able to, you know, hit a spot up three, but also like, you know, just make something out of nothing and drive inside and draw a foul and, and get an and one and blah, 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 like that whole shebang. I think he'll just sort of be like the middle ground. I think actually in an ideal world, he could be like a slightly less ball handling focused Evan Fournier with like way, way, way better defense, um, which I think is a great player and a player that's going to make a lot of money in the NBA and stick around for a long time. As far as the second part of what you said, and then I'll throw it to you quick to to react to that and say your piece, but I think he did do enough to hold down a rotation spot and and justify it. The problem is, is did he do enough in Tibbs' mind to, to do that? And, you know, you could say all you want, like, oh, but he got some starts, and oh, he got tons of bench minutes. Tibbs clearly trusted him, but there were usually extenuating circumstances with that. Like the fact that he was starting Alec Burks at point guard for reasons unknown. And that there were other like injuries that were sort of forcing the hand there as far as getting Grimes into that situation to play 20 to 30 minutes. And he did manage to stick there once he got there, but we all know how Tibbs is like he could very well come into next season. If the Knicks come in full strength and then they have, let's say a Jalen Brunson, um, you know, at the point guard. So then Burks, you know, moves back to the wing if they don't trade him or, or you know, part ways with him in some way. You still have Fournier. You still have RJ. You have Cam Reddish, who the front office is probably going to be pushing for, like, you need to play this guy a little bit, uh, who we'll talk about in the next segment. But, like, I, I think that, you know, he it, it's going to be a struggle still for him to get playing time. We saw the same thing with Obi Toppin this year uh, and Emmanuel Quickly, where they showed a lot in their rookie season, and we thought, okay, they've got – a guaranteed role coming into this next year. 
And then they still had to scratch and claw the whole year. So unfortunately, I think due to the the coaching situation, nothing's going to be given to Grimes this upcoming season. Yeah, I mean, in, in defense of Tibbs, right? We, I mean, we, we talked about one of our dream offseason scenarios is the Knicks side, Brunson. They play him in quickly as the starting backcourt. But then, like, we, we have to, as fans and people who rip Tibbs all the time, being like, oh, I know he's going to play OB 20 minutes a game next year. I know he's going to play Grimes 18 minutes a game next year. All right, but someone has to play in those spots. If you're slotting RJ in and saying he's getting a guaranteed 36, you could move RJ up to the four and you could get Grimes' 30. Or you could keep RJ at the three and you could get Obi his 30, but you're not going to be able to get both those guys. They're 30. And we love both those guys. So that's that's where it gets tricky. Again, if you had a Jalen Brunson, if you had um, a premier draft pick who's ready to break through right away, if you had another free agent that's automatically deserving of that kind of time, I think in my ideal world, especially if the Knicks don't end up with a Jalen Brunson, I think Quentin Grimes is someone who should play close, if not 30 minutes per game next year, just because he he's flat out one of the I, and I, I hate the term two-way player because it's always like, all right, well, how much are you measuring offense? How much are you measuring defense? But for, for the for the quote-unquote two-way players on this team, he, he might be the single best one. He, he's, he's the most reliable guy on both ends of the floor on this team. As long as his shooting continues and as long as he develops counter moves off that shooting, he is someone who should absolutely be on the floor. I think as good as – and we'll talk about him in a second – as good as Evan Fournier was to finish a season, as much as he gives you as just an insane shot maker – I'd, I'd rather roll with Quentin Grimes, given his youth, given his reliable defense. He should be the one out there. Fournier should be the one coming off the bench. Um, that is contingent on Grimes. Again, not hitting, I, I guess I guess this would be the sophomore wall, and actually making a step and continuing to improve his game, which I'm confident that he will. But if you want to bet on that, if you want to bet on anything in the sports world, well, there's only one place to do it. It is betonline.net. They're your number one source. For all your betting stats and sports info, you can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Um, if I were you guys, I would take my mobile device, head to the website today to learn more about the trends in action. What I learned when I went on the website is that the Golden State Warriors are two and a half points over the Memphis Grizzlies for their game one this Sunday. Uh, maybe this would surprise some people. I would ride with the Grizzlies as incredible as the Warriors look offensively um, in that opening series against the Denver Nuggets. I think there's some vulnerabilities there on the defensive end, particularly on the defensive glass. And I think there's something to be said for the team that comes out of the tougher series, being a little bit more battle tested, being a little bit more ready for an intense game one. I think that was the Grizzlies. I think Golden State, even though they're a more talented team, are weirdly a better matchup for what Memphis does than the Minnesota Timberwolves. I like the Grizzlies at least in that game one. So head to bet online today where the game starts. And with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. Alex, that was supposed to be the Young Wings segment, but you and I both are obsessed with Quentin Grimes, so we didn't get to talk about Cam Reddish, who's sort of the mystery man heading into next season for New York. Obviously, the Knicks give up a big first-round trade. It's sort of a point of comedy around the league that the Knicks did that and then weren't really committed to playing Cam Reddish, and Tim was like, yeah, he has to earn his spot, blah, 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 blah. The really painful thing here is he was finally getting into a rhythm uh, when he hurt his shoulder and had to miss the rest of the season, put together, uh, I think, 1.6 good games in a row, which felt like a big deal. But the flashes with Cam Reddish were about as good as the flashes we saw from anyone on this team. His combination of size and speed and ability to squeeze through tight spaces at something like six foot ten um, are unparalleled 
on this Knicks team. And I think that element is valuable. And I would like to continue to see it explored if he's willing to lean into the best aspects of his game. But what is your feel on Cam Reddish heading into his make or break season with the New York Knicks? Yeah, the unfortunate thing is that all that we got to see were flashes, right? And like, if you look at this from like Doctor Strange is coming out next week, so I'm all about like timelines and 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 multiverses and whatever. So like in a different universe, like you know maybe there's a world where Cam Reddish comes to the Knicks, and because the Knicks you know already knew at the point that they traded for Cam Reddish, or they were like within like five games of realizing this that the season was going nowhere. And that it was time to play the younger players. Maybe we got a better look at Cam Reddish in some of these alternate universes where no matter what, the the determined event was that he was going to get hurt when he got hurt. You know, that we could have gotten a better look at him, but we didn't. And that was, you know, just one of the other flaws of Tibbs this year was that we didn't get to look at Cam Reddish more. I, I think... Unfortunately, at least in his Knicks tenure, everything was pretty much just flashes, you know, and and that was sort of like the impression that I got from talking to people that cover the Hawks, too, is that it's it's mostly just flashes with him to this point in his career, like put up a huge playoff game last year. But, you know, other times will, you know, go like like one for 10, you know, and, and just keep shooting. Um, so I think with him, it's going to be like, how does he view himself? which I still think that he views himself as a guy that could be a star. Um, and look, I mean, I don't fault him. He's heading into his fourth year in the NBA, and he was like considered by some to be the top guy in his in his high school class in front of R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, Quentin Grimes, as it turns out. You know, he was ranked to be like the number one among those guys by by some people because he did have that amount of talent and, you know, was, was viewed as that sort of player. I... I think he's going to have to probably like, I think the key for him is going to be working on the small things rather than the big picture stuff. Like I actually think he has a lot of really good ability as far as getting inside, as far as pulling up from mid range, you know, being a good three point shooter, both off the dribble and, um, you know, as a spot up guy and also as a defender, like I think maybe he's not the strongest one-on-one defender of all time, but he's, he's, admirably good like he's not he's no Quentin Grimes for example but I think that he can be good there and he also I think his best defensive attribute was playing the passing lanes and having anticipation for you know knocking balls away and and generating steals generating fast break opportunities which I thought he was also great in the fast break that was like the first moment of him with the Knicks that popped for me was a fast break where he he just got out and got the ball around midcourt and within like like five strides was at the hoop, you know, because he just, he's got that like long lanky frame where he can really like cover a lot of ground really fast and get to where he wants to go. And then he's actually pretty good. I think to it, like we talked about with RJ generating contact and, and creating free throw opportunities for himself. So he's got all these traits. I think he just really needs to work on the minutiae, like his footwork. I mean, I'm no shot doctor and I'll never claim to be, but even to someone like me, that, you know, just watches the game, you know, watches every game and, and you know, tries to take in what he can. I, I look at how he shoots and I'm just like, dude, your feet are all over the place. Like the the main thing with like a Quentin Grimes, again, you use him as a, as a juxtaposition. Like the reason Quentin Grimes' jumper was so good and why he shot so well as a rookie was because he does the same thing every single time that he shoots the ball. His feet are in the exact same spot. His arms go through the exact same motions. You know, he he 
approaches every single three-pointer exactly the same as the one before it. Whereas with Reddish, it was like sometimes his his one leg would be kicking out this way, and then another time both of his feet would be kicking forward as he's shooting, and then another time he'd be fading to the side, and you know another time his body would be sort of crooked while he was trying to get a shot up. And it's just like, I, I think he needs a really good shot coach over this offseason. If he gets that together and can develop consistency first on just spot-up attempts and then transition that into his pull-up game, which he's really adept at getting into, then I, I think that could signal a potential. I mean, maybe that leads to the star turn that Cam Reddish wants. Um, you know, it's just going to depend on if he can get there or not. Um, but I, I will say, I think that he is probably to me, and this is why I feel like the Knicks need to prioritize getting him some minutes next year, even if it's only 15 to 20 a game or something. But, you know, he needs playing time so that you can see what there is, because I think that he is probably out of all the guys that we talk about during these young player segments and whatever, he is probably the one that has one of, if not the highest ceiling amongst the Knicks young guys to me, but also probably the lowest floor. Because if he doesn't put together some of these basics, the things aren't going to work out for him. He's never going to find the consistency that he needs to be good in the NBA. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I, I will say despite those that inconsistency in mechanics, he's a guy who clearly has – some shooting talent, right? 90% from the line for the season when he actually was playing consistently on the Hawks, despite, I mean, that erratic shot selection hit 38% of his threes on 4.5 attempts per game. He's someone who can shoot the basketball. And the big thing for me when he was on the Knicks is, um, and, and this is, this is a credit to Tibbs where we don't give credit to Tibbs a lot. Uh, I thought his intentions were to play the right way. And you saw him fall into some of those bad habits and take, occasionally like the the contested three with 20 seconds on the shot clock that seemed like it would be a brick every single time but for the most part he wanted to make the extra pass he wanted to play hard defensively he wanted to get to the rim and get to the foul line and I think we saw that all coming together and 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 the really difficult part for him and, and we, we'll talk about it with Obi Toppin because we saw the same thing with Obi Toppin is I just don't I don't think in the in the limited minutes that he was playing for a guy who has probably played most of every basketball game for the rest of his life. I mean, with some exceptions on the Hawks before this, I just think he struggled to get into any kind of rhythm, like being pulled in and out. And, and once he actually got a stretch to just be on the court and said, Hey, you don't have to look over your shoulders. You're not going to get pulled for every single mistake. I, I think that that was slowly, but surely going to change the outlook of his season. If he'd gotten to finish and we'll, we'll never know because he didn't get to finish this year, but that is my instinct on it. And I, I hope the Knicks find a way to clear up that time, whether it's trading Alec Burks, whether it's not adding anyone to that position. Like I want there to be a world where, where again, it's tough because I want it for Obi Toppin. I want it for Grimes. I want it for RJ. And there's only so many minutes to go around. But I, I think the first step is trading Julius Randle and just figuring out a way to get him on the court for 22 to 24 minutes a night. If it blows up in your face, that's fine. You trade a mid-first round pick, it doesn't matter. But to your point, there's a ceiling there that is so intriguing. And I, I just like the way he fits in with this young group. Again, my vision for this team going forward is one small guard and Emmanuel quickly, maybe two if you end up with Jalen Brunson, and then a whole lot of really big wings around them. Grimes, RJ Reddish being dominant two-way forces. I think that's the way the Knicks can 
push themselves if not into title contention in just into being a perennially good team. To me, Reddish is a huge part of that vision, and I want to see that explored next season. So I think it's deserving of that opportunity. So when I question a little bit more if they should be part of that vision is Evan Fournier, who in his defense is coming off a historically good season, shooting the three ball, was top 15 in the NBA in three-point attempts per game. Out of that group was fourth in three-point shooting percentage, so he got up a lot of them. And he made a whole lot of them, Alex. But do you ultimately see Evan Fournier as someone that you think should be part of the Knicks future? Do you see him as part of the Knicks future in a more limited role, perhaps as a sixth man? Or do you think he's someone that despite a good year, nothing against him as a player, but just because of the plethora of young talent the Knicks have, should probably be traded? Yeah, I I go back and forth on that. Should also shout out he broke the Knicks single season three-point made record, which had stood since the 90s. Uh, by John Starks, made 241 makes from deep, which was also his career high by a mile. And as you alluded to, uh, 39% on a career high, 7.7 attempts from from three. As far as whether I want him on the team, I I don't know, you know, because early in the season when Tibbs had essentially resigned Fournier to playing Reggie Bullock's role, and not letting him do anything off the dribble and whatever. It was kind of just like, what was the point of signing this guy? Um, you know, he was supposed to do something different than Bullock. That's the whole reason he gave him like 18 million and Bullock only signed for like whatever he signed for like 10 or whatever. You know, that's that's the difference maker. That's that's the $8 million difference right there. Uh, so if, if that was all you wanted, why didn't you just sign Bullock who plays better defense? And But then down the stretch of the season, I, I think that, Fournier finally sort of got unleashed a bit. You know, he he got to start working off the dribble more and attacking closeouts and getting inside and, you know, shooting from the mid-range a little bit and stuff like that while still having that just incredibly lethal three-point shot where, I mean, when he was on, he was on this season. I mean, we talk about footwork and stuff. He reached the point where he was so hot that he didn't even need to have the set feet and everything else. I mean, there was, I felt like down the stretch of the season, he was making almost one per game where he would catch it in the corner, have a hard closeout, and then just choose to just like casually fade out of bounds while shooting a three and, and like making a perfect swish. I mean, he hit just a, a nuclear level of hot at a certain point this season. So that showed what a lethal three point shooter he can be. His defense is what it is. Um, you know, he's never going to be an elite defender, but I, I think that he does when he's at his best, at least perform admirably enough that he doesn't get played off the floor. Um, at least he didn't in a Knicks uniform, I don't think. It, it, you could argue if that did happen to him with the Celtics, like people said, that was one of the main things that they were looking at, you know, as far as things against him when, you know, he got signed by the Knicks, but it is what it is. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think his defense is fine enough when he's, when he's playing well. Um, the big thing to me though, that makes me sort of think that I wouldn't mind keeping him on the team is that down the stretch of the season, I thought that he had such a great chemistry with the bigs on the team. Um, Jericho Sims and and Mitch Robinson, especially, and, and I would say, especially, especially Jericho Sims, I, something about their connection, like Fournier proved to be on a team where, you know, I think quickly got a lot better as a point guard and was doing really well as far as driving kick and as far as running pick and roll and stuff, but maybe wasn't always the best at identifying just a good big man seal. Fournier was so good at that. Like I felt like he was the only guy on the team that was looking for that consistently where, you know, Jericho Sims or Mitch Robinson would have, you know, their 
their defenders sealed off around the hoop and just need a good entry pass and then they get like an easy dunk. And Fournier was the only guy that was consistently looking for that. And as a result, like Jericho Sims and, and Mitchell Robinson got a ton of uh, great opportunities generated for them by Fournier. I, I guess my my overarching point as far as if I want to keep him or not, I think that I think he's paid appropriately is basically my main thing. I don't think the Knicks overpaid for him. I don't think he's an unmovable contract. Um, I would actually argue that maybe if you let, if you bring him back for next year and have him play like a half season, he might be able to even increase his value a little bit because if he keeps shooting the lights out like he did this year and starts stringing together a season right from the start where he's allowed to sort of freelance more and, you know, generate opportunities for his, for his teammates or just in general do something other than just stand and shoot, you know, maybe then he becomes a valuable piece to move at the deadline if you want to move in that direction and get another draft pick next season or something like that. Um, but he could, in theory, have that same value this this offseason. But I don't know. My inclination is to keep him and probably move Alec Burks, I, if for nothing else than the fact that, despite the fact that Alec Burks, who we'll briefly touch on in a sec too, is, is also a really talented player, but Tibbs, for whatever reason, sees Alec Burks as a point guard. And he never played Evan Fournier at point guard. So you know you'll never have to contend with that vision, at least in theory. Maybe Tibbs could pull out a horror show lineup where Fournier is the point guard. Um, but as of yet, we haven't seen that experiment used yet. We have seen the Alec Burks at point guard experiment, which Tibbs loved and we all hate. So I, I think it probably comes down to one or the other for me. And if it was up to me, I would probably keep Fournier and move Burks at this point. Because I think Fournier is, is not just good for the not just good on the court and good at putting up numbers or whatever, but I think he was actually pretty good for the young players down the stretch too. Yeah, I'm I'm in total agreement. And, and his, I mean, he's 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 an elite, elite, elite shooter. Like as, as whatever you, you want to say, top eight in the league, top ten in the league, top twelve. Like I, I think he he hits he hits those marks. And his ability, to your point, as as a pick and roll creator, was really good. I also agree that he was competitive defensively. I can't say I have a huge preference between him and Burks just because Burks is so much cheaper and I think quite a bit better defensively. And this, this is something we were talking about pre-show, but Burks got a bad rep rap last year because he was asked to do something that he he's not qualified to do. It has never done in the NBA, but he's such a complete offensive player and a fantastic shooter in his own right when asked to do the right thing and so good defensively. I can't say I have a, have a strong preference between those two guys, but I, I would – I would be not not upset, but I think they should only go into next year with one of those two on the roster, just just for the sake of getting Grimes, getting Reddish those minutes. Because again, you, you can talk as much as you want of like, oh, this guy's good, oh, this guy's good, oh, this guy's good. At some point, you can only play so many of them at these positions. But on that note, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Uh, stay tuned next week. We will continue exploring. All of these conversations, including potential free agents the Knicks could sign on the wings, potential draft picks the Knicks could have on the wing, and what star wings will the Knicks look to trade for this offseason, maybe with a special guest or two. But until then, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Peace out.